I need to move this forward because I like to wander. I need space. Last night I was in Vandalia and I was constrained with a corded microphone and this little bit and so I had to keep like walking up on the stage and around like that. It was quite awkward. But we're going to work on that. I'm going to talk to Cameron as soon as he gets back from camping. I need some stuff. I'm a bit of a diva, I guess. So, um, it's a diva. So this morning what I want to talk about is the reality that you were chosen on purpose. That you were chosen and that you were called by God on purpose. And what I am thinking about as I prepared this message is that I was, um, you probably, I've, every time I get up, I tell the same story. So I'm going to do a really small version of it here. A few years ago, I was really struggling um, with my vocation, where I was going. Maybe it was a midlife crisis. I don't know. And I was like, God, you know, I'm selling vinyl siding, but I feel like there is so much more. There is something else for me. And so I prayed. I sought God. And I really felt him calling me into full-time ministry. And so I kind of followed the path uh, to go that direction. Ended up going to Cornerstone, ended up uh, coming on part-time here at New Day a couple years ago, and then full-time starting in August. And it has been an amazing honor and a privilege to, to be on staff here at New Day and to, to work here and to push this church forward and to, to reach for the vision and the mission that God has called this church to. But as I am as I'm here, as I'm working, I can't help but thinking, you know what, I can think of about a dozen people that would be better at this than me. Like, I can think of all these people that are great communicators, that are great leaders, that are passionate, that are engaging. Like, God, who am I that I would come in here and get to do this? But I believe with all of my heart that God called me into the ministry. He's called me into this place and that he has chosen me to be in this place at this time. And regardless of what my strengths are, regardless of what my weaknesses are, I'm going to choose to follow him. And I'm going to choose to run after him because the reality is that God has chosen me for a purpose at this time. And I believe the truth is that God has also chosen each one of you God has called you, and he has put a passion and a desire in your heart. And that passion, that desire, that dream certainly uh, does not have to be vocational ministry. Probably a majority of the people are not called into that, but maybe God has put a call on your life into the business world. Or maybe he's put a call on your life to be a Sunday school teacher, or to serve at the church, or to be a worship leader, whatever that is. And I believe that if we can grab onto that call, if we grab onto that passion and we run after God, that He can fulfill that dream and that desire and that passion inside of us. And that it is really easy for us as we take a step out to go, you know what, this is crazy. This is crazy. You know what, it's a lot safer. I'm just going to sit in the back pew. Or, you know what, it's a lot safer. I'm just going to just kind of hang out in my living room. I'm, it's too dangerous to take a risk. I'm not going to go start a business. That's crazy. Like, there's too much risk involved. But I believe that God has chosen us for significance. That God has chosen us to do something impressive. And that he has called us on purpose. And when I was thinking about this, I wanted, I was like, man, I need a great illustration. What could I, 
how do I draw the people in to exactly what I'm talking about? So I would like to play a clip uh, right now that hopefully were doubts himself, right? He, uh, he was afraid. You know, he didn't know enough. He has all these reasons why he can't go. And isn't it the reality that you and I often feel the same way? You know, our hearts cry out for significance. There is a, a passion in us to do something amazing, but we don't feel like we have what it takes. We don't know enough. Maybe we've messed up too badly to be used by God or to do something amazing. We end up talking ourselves out of our calling, talking ourselves out of our destiny and our passions and our dreams because we don't think that we can actually do it. And so this morning... What I want to do is call out that you and I were called on purpose with a mission and to live lives of significance. And I think it's time that we brought some scripture into this, into this teaching. So in Galatians 1, we can't stay on Star Wars all night or all day. But in Galatians 1.1, it says this. Uh, this was written by Paul, a letter he sent to uh, a number of churches in the region of Galatia. And so in Galatians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and, the God, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And now God chose Paul in the first century to minister to the Gentiles. And this makes sense to us. We can understand this. We have grown up learning that Paul was amazing. You know, that he was just this radical guy that, you know, changed the world. I mean, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. He met Jesus after Jesus' resurrection. After he ascended into heaven, he came and encountered Paul. And and in verse one or chapter one, scripture Galatians one one, it says that I am Paul, and I'm sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, sent Paul for a purpose. And I believe that the truth is that you have also been called on purpose, and that God has chosen you just like He chose Paul. You are called to do something of significance. And this might be difficult for us to grasp. You know, we can ask me, you know, he, he would choose me, but who am I? And what do I have to offer? You know, what can I do for God? You know, I feel like I've messed up too much to be used by God. Or maybe you feel that, you know what, maybe if I went to school, maybe if I learned some more, I just don't know enough to be used by God. Or I just don't have what it takes. You know, I've seen people that, that God uses. You know, Paul was amazing. You know, he did all this great stuff, and I couldn't do that. I don't have what it takes. And so what I want to do today is just look at the lives of a couple of people in the Bible and see what their credentials were that God would choose them and use them. And I believe that we're going to see that if God can use these guys, then he can definitely use you and he can use me. Because we, as well, were chosen on purpose. So let's look at this guy named Paul. Paul, um, who we all, we remember him. We th when we think of Paul, we think of St. Paul. This amazing guy that traveled the world. He told all the Gentiles about Jesus. He stood up to persecution. This guy was amazing. 
But when we first meet him, he is overseeing the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And and it says in the, the book of Acts in chapter 7 that all the men threw their, their coats in front of of Saul as as they stoned Stephen. And in my mind, as I've always read that, it's kind of this idea that, oh, there's this poor, impressionable kid. He sees all his, his the uh, these other Jewish guys that he respects and they're killing Saul. And so that kind of leads him down this bad path. Poor little guy. But... In the NIV Bible, the NIV study Bible, it says that some people actually believe that, that what they're saying here is that Saul was, uh, some have thought that this, that he was standing there, marked Saul as being in charge of the execution. And so that he, he didn't have to get his hands dirty and actually kill Stephen. He could just stand there and oversee it and make sure that it happens. You know, kind of reminiscent of our good friend Grand Moff Tarkin as he stood on the deck of the Death Star and ordered the destruction of Alderaan. These are my biggest fans right over here. The Yurdis. Big nerds. Big nerds. That's all right. Um, and so, so Paul, in, in the same way, is kind of overseeing this, this murder of a Christian martyr of Stephen, who's a great guy. And then, in another chapter or two, in Acts 9, we find Saul again, and it says he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's going, he's going out getting ready to throw Christ followers in prison, forcing them to deny Christ, you know, murdering the ones that won't. This guy is going out in complete opposition to God. And we call him St. Paul. And here he is going out to murder Christians. He is working directly against God. And what happens in Acts 9, we see that Jesus reveals himself to Saul. And if this was my story, if I was God, I would have, I would have come down and just crushed Saul and said, you're done now, buddy. You know, I've got a lot of great people over here that I'm going to use to go and minister to the Gentiles. But that's not what God does. God comes and reveals Jesus Christ to Saul and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't come just to stop Paul or to crush him, but he, stops, he comes down and he meets him to call him into significance, to call him with a purpose. You see, all the garbage and the junk that Paul had done previous in his life did not keep him from being able to fulfill the call that God had on his life. And in Galatians 1, 11 through 17, Paul kind of talks about this situation. So this is a little bit longer passage, but um, it says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. 
And so Paul knows where he's come from. He says, I, you, you may have heard how intensely I persecuted the church of God. And I tried to destroy it. I was trying to destroy the church. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace... Paul was chosen for a purpose before he was ever created, before he was ever born. God had a plan and a purpose and a call on Paul's life. And the junk that he got himself involved in, the the lies that he believed, the sins that he committed, did not discredit him or keep him from being able to fulfill what God had for him. But God came down and said, Saul, I'm going to give you another chance. You have been heading down this road, and I've actually called you to go this direction. And this is your moment, Paul. I have chosen you. I have called you with a purpose. Will you follow me? And Paul chooses to follow Jesus. Because what else are you going to do if, if Jesus comes, knocks you off your horse and blinds you, and tells you that he wants you to do something? Paul didn't have a lot of options. Um, But if Paul, the chief of sinners, the murderer of Christians, was still able to be used by God, then so can you and so can I. There's nothing that you've done that cannot be dealt with by the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. Alright, so next, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon. Alright, these are probably pretty, pretty famous stories. A lot of us know these stories, so I'm just going to go over it quickly. And Gideon is one of the judges. This period of judges was this 400-year period after the Israelites had taken the promised land. Joshua comes in and, and you know, kicks all most of the Canaanites out. And it's before... Samuel anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel. So it's this 400 years uh, in, in Israel's history where there's all these social and these economic and these political ups and downs in, in the kingdom and the nation of Israel. And during this time, as the Israelites take over the land, they do a really, really bad job of being faithful to God. And so we, as we read the book of Judges, you see this cycle that repeats itself over and over again. The Israelites are doing well. They start worshiping other gods. They start intermarrying with the Canaanites. God is like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. He allows the, their enemies to kind of come sweep in and they you know, fight them and crush them and, and destroy the Israelites until the Israelites are like, oh, this is so horrible. God, will you come save us? And then God, in his grace and his mercy, comes down, raises up a judge. The judge comes and defeats the enemy every, and rallies the people back to God and everything is great. And then they start worshiping other gods again and the whole cycle goes on and on and on for 400 years. 400 years they do this. And in Judges 6, we see the story of one of the judges by the name of Gideon. And he is this little guy, and when we find him, he's hiding in a wine press. He's in the wine press, and he's threshing wheat, which is not the normal thing in a wine press. Actually, in a wine press, there's one, an ancient wine press, and, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know what one looked like. And so they would stand, they would... They would stomp on grapes in this main section that you see. And then there's a hole that the juice runs into another vat. 
So, anyway, that, that's a wine press. And so our friend Gideon is hiding in this wine press and he's threshing wheat. And the reason he's doing that is he's trying to hide from the Midianites. Because for seven years, every time they see the Israelites have something, they come and destroy their flocks and they crush their crops. They are, you know, they are destroying the the economy of the Israelites. And they, uh, the Israelites are scared. They don't have much food. So, so our friend Gideon is kind of hiding in there, threshing some wheat, getting ready to make some food uh, because he is hungry. I don't know where I was going with that. He's hungry. Anywho, for some reason I always put the mic to the side when I don't know what I'm doing. So... Um, so the angel of the Lord shows up and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then the angel tells Gideon that he is to go in the strength you have and save Israel. Man, what an awesome opportunity. Gideon, is, an angel of the Lord comes down. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon has some doubts. He's like, well, what, how can I save Israel? You probably, you don't realize this, Mr. Angel, but my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. You know, who am I? What do I have to, to offer? What can I do to save Israel? I can't fight the Midianites. Have you seen how big and strong and scary they are? I'm just trying to make some food here. I'm just kind of hungry. That's all I want to do is just survive this. And in a, in a little bit later, I'm going to jump ahead, um, the, we see this, uh, this story of this uh, Midianite, these, these Midianites in their camp, and they're talking to each other. And one Midianite has a dream, and he says, um, I had a dream of a round loaf of barley rolling into the Midianite camp and crushing it. And, and so the... The barley loaf, and I'm like, well, what does a barley loaf mean? And the barley was considered an inferior grain. Juan Kenobi. You are my only hope. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Barley was considered an inferior grain and only half the value of wheat. This is how Gideon saw himself. He saw himself as insignificant. He saw himself as one who does not have what it takes. All right. And, you know, we've probably all had opportunities in our life. You know, these opportunities to step into something significant, to do something amazing. And yet we walk away because of doubt, because of fear, because of this idea that I don't have what it takes. I can't do that, God. 
And this is exactly what Gideon struggles with. And we see the story unfold that he's like, no, you don't mean me. I can't do this. And God's like, yeah, I want you to do it. You can do it. And so there's the fleece and uh, make the, get the fleece wet. And all right, now get the fleece dry and blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff. And so he's kind of testing, uh, testing God and trying to make sure that God is going to do it. And he eventually chooses to trust God. So Gideon, at some point, has to make a choice. He says, this is how I see myself. Weak, insignificant, unable to do it. But I am going to choose to believe that God has called me. And I am going to walk this out. I'm going to choose to walk this out, even though I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm going to do it. Um... I gotta keep. I gotta move fast. All right. So God eventually whittles down the army to. He, Gideon calls a big army. God says, "No, you can't bring all these people." God whittles it down to 300 people, and the Israelites end up surrounding the Midianite camp. They do the amazing battle strategy of breaking jars and holding torches, and the Midianites kill themselves, and God is victorious, um, which is amazing, right? And so. Even though Gideon doubts his calling and he was focused on his weakness and not on God's strength, God chose him and called him. And if Gideon, this little scared and doubting judge, is able to be used by God, then so can you. All right, so we're going to quickly go through one more character from the Bible. His name is Peter. And Peter... Uh, we, we have a lot of respect for Peter. That guy was pretty intense. Um, but the reality was that Peter was a bit of a backslider. Peter had some struggles in his life. All right? And when we first meet him, he is one of the first disciples that Jesus calls. And then, uh, a chapter or two later, uh, Jesus and Peter are hanging out, and they're hungry, and they go over to Peter's house, um, but neither of them feel like cooking, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, well, I'll heal your mother-in-law, and then she can make us some food. <laughs> so, sorry. So, what else, what else does Peter do? He walks on water, right? There's a, uh, then Peter, uh, Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then a little bit later, Peter and James and John are taken up with Jesus onto the Mount of Transfiguration. They are see, they see Jesus glorified, they see Moses. They see Elijah. This is an amazing situation. Peter says something foolish, but that's kind of what he does. You know, Peter does, makes just weird decisions sometimes. And so, overall, we can see that Peter was incredibly passionate about Jesus. Peter was passionate about the role uh, that Jesus was playing, what was going on. All right? But in Matthew 26, we see this story. Jesus predicting his death, and that, or predicting his arrest, and that when this happens, all the disciples are going to fall away or run away. And Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus responds, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
And we know how this ends. Peter is in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin. After Judas betrays Jesus, after Jesus is arrested, the, the disciples all scatter. And Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin, and Peter follows at a distance. Because he's scared. And he doesn't know what's going on. And so he's sitting in the, in the courtyard, and this young servant girl, who's probably around 13 or 14 years old, comes up to Peter and says, Aren't you with Jesus? But Peter denies it. And then another servant girl asks, Aren't you with Jesus? And Peter denies it with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. And then as he's standing around the fire, kind of waiting to see what happens, some other people in the courtyard ask, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And Peter calls down curses and swears, I don't know the man. The guy, the guy swore. He said a word that I probably can't say here in church. So, I mean, this is intense. And he vehemently says, I don't know the man. And calls down curses. And immediately a rooster crows. And Peter remembers Jesus' words. And he runs off weeping. Because he knows that he has denied Jesus. In the moment when Jesus needed him the most, in the time of Jesus' greatest need, what does Peter do? He runs away and denies that he ever knew him. And then we never ever hear about Peter again. He is lost to history as the man who denied Jesus. But actually, as we most, most of us know, it's not the end of the story for Peter. And after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to the disciples. He actually appears to them three times. And in John 21, we see the story of that third encounter. They've just, they've just fished a bunch of fish. I don't know. <laughs> they've grabbed a bunch. They've got a bunch of fish. Thanks, Jesus, for the fish. And they bring them up on shore, and they're eating, and they're hanging out. And after they'd finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so we see this beautiful picture of Jesus calling Peter back into relationship. And so he asked Jesus, do you love me? Or Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And it kind of symbolize, you know, you denied me three times. Now will you choose me three times? And not only does Jesus say, Peter, I accept you back. 
you know what, I had some big plans for you, but now it's not going to work out, but we really need somebody to do laundry. We really need somebody to clean up all these fish guts after all this, all, all this food. So if you could just handle that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Thomas here, and we're going to go, we're going to found this church on him. We're going to do some sweet stuff, because Thomas is pretty awesome. Actually, Thomas was a doubter. Maybe we'll use Bartholomew. Anyway, you know what, so, but this isn't what happened. So Jesus says, feed my sheep. He calls Peter to be a shepherd. And up till this point, Jesus has been the shepherd of the sheep. In John, he refers to himself as the good shepherd. But Jesus is going away. And so he chooses to call this guy who is backslidden, you know, further than any of us have ever backslidden. All right? He calls this guy to be the shepherd of his sheep. Peter's denial did not discredit him for being the rock upon which Jesus was going to build his church. And we see through history that Peter does amazing, right? He becomes bold and he preaches the gospel of Jesus because Jesus said, I choose you. And nothing that you have done can discredit you or keep you from fulfilling the call that I have on your life. And I believe, just like these guys, that you have not messed up too much. You are not too weak. And you have not fallen too far for Jesus to use you. And there's a moment right now where Jesus is interacting with you, saying, will you choose to follow me? Because I am telling you, that that other stuff, the stuff that has come before, we can deal with that. It's okay. We're going to bring that to the cross. We're going to pour the blood of Jesus on those sins, and we're going to deal with it. But will you, at this moment, choose me? Because I choose you. And Paul, the chief of sinners, the murderer, says to the believers in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesus, he says to every one of them, and he says to every one of us right now, God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. God has chosen you. He has predestined you before you were even created, even before you were born. God said, this is the plan I have for you. This is what I think you can do. This is what we're going to do together. This is how you are going to live a life of significance. And we think that we have thrown it all the way because of our past. Maybe we've had, you know, you know, we had a, a child out of wedlock, or maybe we are drug addicts, or maybe we look at too much porn. We've done all this terrible stuff, and we said, God, you can't use me anymore. I've messed up too much. And Jesus would say to you right now, no, it's okay. I forgive you. My grace is sufficient for you. But will you choose to follow me? Because I choose you. And in verse 11 in the, uh, Ephesians 1, it says, In Him, in Jesus, we were chosen. 
And in Romans 8.29, Paul goes on to says, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So you were predestined and you were called before you were justified. Before you were forgiven. When you were still God's enemy, he said, I choose you. And God has chosen you on purpose. And he has called you to a plan and a destiny right now. And he asks you, will you choose to follow me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that you've chosen us. God, we thank you that there's nothing in our past that will keep us from being able to serve you of significance. God, I just pray that you would break every chain in this place, every lie that would make people believe that I've messed up too much. I've gone too far. God, that you would speak the truth that says, my grace is sufficient. My blood has dealt with every sin. Yeah, God, so we just bless every person here. In Jesus' name, amen.